Our scripture today is found in the book of Revelations, chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory, wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they, and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Good morning, everyone. Lovely to see you all here today. My name's Dan, and uh, I'm the pastor here at Cornerstone. If this is your first time, it's lovely to see you, and it's lovely to see old friends as well as we meet uh, once again. Uh, This is always one of my high points in the week, if not my high points, just seeing everyone as we come together and we worship God and we we remind ourselves what life is all about After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. This... uh, If I'm honest, there's so much that we need to get through this morning, Uh, but my goal this morning is that our hearts and minds would be elevated. Last week, if you remember, if you were here, we had a precious and a somber time meditating on the reality of death and on loss, uh, especially loss as an enemy of gratitude. We used Moses' death as a lens through which to look at loss, that loss is first unexpected, that loss is a part of life, that loss does not stop God's purposes, and finally that things will never be the same again. Now this morning we're uh, starting a, a 
new series called the the other side there it is as we as we keep working through the revised common lectionary and for those of you who are new to Cornerstone or have never heard this, the Revised Common Lectionary is a way of thematically reading through the, most of the Bible over a span of three years. So we've actually, we're actually coming to the end of year A, and when Advent begins in a few weeks, we'll begin year B. And over the past year, I've, I've been reading from a, a translation of the Bible called the Christian Standard Bible. From this Sunday onwards, I'm going to switch to the New International Version just to mix it up. And unless you're a Bible nerd, you don't care. And you wouldn't have even noticed. But that's, uh, uh, that's the way that we will be going um, over, over the next little while. And just as a matter of maybe full disclosure, I'm using a book that helps me navigate the Revised Common Lectionary. It's called Lectionary Sermon Series, A Preacher's Guide. I don't expect any of you to have read it. This is a very niche publication. Um, but from this, from this book, I usually use the suggested s- series name. Uh, I also make use of the key scriptures that they recommend. And I sometimes use the sermon title that they recommend, but not often. And then the rest of the work after that is mine, along with the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm a, a, a strong believer in not having to reinvent the wheel. So if someone's already done some of the hard work for me, then uh, I'm okay with that. But anytime I use someone's work that's not my own, like a quotation or a reading, I will give full attribution. And part of the reason why I do that is because I want you to be able to find and to read what I've quoted, particularly if it's spoken to you. Why am I telling you this? Well, one of the reasons is because uh, as a pastor, I'm a happy collaborator. Uh, When Nathan was on staff, we would work on the sermons together. We would meet weekly. Uh, I also read around a fair bit. I use other people's stuff. Um, I don't believe that for God to speak to you on a Sunday morning, every flash of insight needs to originate with me. That's why I'm very grateful for, for, for books like the lectionary sermon series that at least maybe gets me started. And then this means that I also have more more time to do other things like pastoring you guys, like running youth, like being the global partners, district representative, all of those other things. And of course, being a dad and a husband. So all that being said, We're in this scene in heaven. There's a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, every people, every tribe. Um, They are standing before the throne. They are standing before the Lamb. They're wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. So maybe a couple of things to start us off. This crowd is enormous. No one can count it. Sometimes we can feel like the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 19, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. That's how we can sometimes feel. We can be really depressed about the, you know, the current state of affairs. But here we see in Revelation uh, that no, the reality is that there is this great multitude that no one can count before the throne of God. And they're from every nation, every people, and every language. Every clan, every people group, every language group is represented. Wrap your head around that. That the crowd before the throne is not white, it's not black, it's not Asian, 
It's not brown. It's all people from everywhere. In fact, most likely folks like me, white people, will be in the minority looking at where the locus of the church has been throughout church history and where it is now. It's not going to look like this. Listen to these words yeah, from Daniel Aiken, which ring true, even if some of the specifics maybe need to be updated. He writes this, In this massive throng of the redeemed in heaven, there is not the slightest hint of bigotry, ethnocentrism, prejudice, or racism. Of the 11,243 people groups in the world, each is present and represented. Of the 3,056 people groups currently unengaged, meaning you know there's no meaningful uh, representation of the gospel there, each is represented. Of the 3.7 billion uh, folks still not having an adequate opportunity to hear the gospel. The, uh, the lamb is reaching out and calling them unto himself by the spirit and through his people. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they crowd, cried out with a loud voice. These people are washed clean. They are wearing white robes. They are holding palm branches, which echoes back to the triumphal entry in John chapter 12. This is a scene of celebration. And they are before the throne. The throne of God fills their horizon. They can see with certainty what we now believe with faith that God is on the throne, that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now let's look a little bit more into these white-robed masses arrayed before the throne. First of all, why are they in white robes? Well, because the blood of Jesus has cleansed them. Come, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are crimson red, they will be like wool, Isaiah 1.18. Listen to these words, um, yeah, from Corrie Tenboom, who was uh, a survivor of the Holocaust. She writes this, the blood of Jesus has great power. There is perhaps not a phrase in the Bible that is so full of secret truth as, quote-unquote, the blood of Jesus. It is the secret of his incarnation when Jesus took on flesh and blood, the secret of his, his obedience unto death when he gave his life at the cross of Calvary, the secret of his love that went beyond all understanding when he bore us with his blood, the secret of the enemy and the secret of our eternal salvation. Back to our passage, verse 13. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. I love there that in verse 14, you know, you got a bit of a rhetorical question. It's like, you know, you know, the parent saying, where were you tonight? And the parent knows fully well where you were tonight. This is like that, you know. It's a rhetorical question. Sir, you know. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. John's writing this revelation, this unraveling, this revealing to little communities 
of believers, much like ours, most likely perhaps even smaller. Now, N.T. Wright explains a little of the context here. He writes this, The little communities to whom he is sending this book are about to face a nightmare. Persecution is on the way and they must be ready for it. What he is offering them here is part of his continuing vision, and it's a vision not of nice dreams in his head, but of the heavenly reality, which is the absolute utter truth against which the nightmare must be measured. This, he says, is the ultimate reality of the situation, and you must hold on to it for dear life as you plunge back into the nightmare. But then John, the the revelator, the revealer, says that these are they who have come out of the great tribulation or the great ordeal. They have suffered, in N.T. Wright's words, through the nightmare, and now they are waking up. And the image, as I I read uh, this and as I thought about this, the image that comes to mind is Frodo when he wakes up in Rivendell after the ring has been destroyed in Mount Doom. There's almost, he can't really credit it as actually happening, but it is real. Rivendell is real, and Rivendell is beautiful, and Rivendell is peace, just like heaven is represented here in Revelation. Only here, rather than, you know, the peace of Rivendell, here there's a party going on. And it's not like a polite Canadian party with hip hip parades or you know there's no one singing along amazing grace this is um it's like a kid where they're so excited that they have this um overwhelming expression of joy that just builds up and builds up and builds up and then they just go that's kind of what's going on here they cannot keep it in this is what being in God's presence is like They are before the throne. They serve him day and night. He shelters them with his presence. Never will they hunger or thirst. And when I read that, it makes me say, Maranatha, O come Lord Jesus. But we're not there yet. We're living through the nightmare. So Lord, help us to hold on to you until we wake up to our forever morning with you. Friends, we need to heed Jesus' words of warning in Mark 4.13, Mark 4.16. Others like seed sown on rocky places hear the words and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. When that nightmare comes, they quickly fall away. Friends, trouble and hardship will come. Make sure that you're rooted in Christ. Make sure that you are connected to the vine. Make sure that your roots go down deep into the sacrificial love of Christ, into the love of the Father, and into the power of the Holy Spirit, so that when persecution comes, when the great ordeal comes, you will hold on, you will stay strong, you will be steadfast in Christ. Revelation 5. I love that little thought uh, at the end. The sun will not beat down on them. 
And this makes me think that this is the answer to the prayer of Psalm 63 that says this, You God are my God, earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. The sun will not beat down on them. Today is All Saints Day. Uh, It's the day when we remember our spiritual forebears and our brothers and sisters around the world. But of course, All Saints Day begs the question, what is a saint? Is it a supercharged hero of the faith? Is it someone who's worked miracles in the past? Is it a church father or church mother from the first century CE? Is it Augustine or Brother Lawrence or or Teresa of of Avila? Is it St. David or St. Patrick? Is a saint someone on whom the small c church has bestowed the title saint? Well, I would say maybe, but I can think of no more wonderful descriptor of a saint than 1 Corinthians 1 verse 12 that says this, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people or saints together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you part of the church of God Are you sanctified? Are you being sanctified in Christ Jesus? Are you called to be his holy people? Do you call on the name of the Lord? If these things are true of you, then you are a saint. You are a saint. I am a saint. To some of you, I'm Pastor Dan. To others, I'm only Dan, just Dan. But my name actually is Saint Dan. Saint Dan of North Gore. And so I'd like you to turn to your neighbor and introduce yourself using the name Saint. My name is Saint so-and-so, so you can turn around and introduce yourself. Go ahead. All Saints Day. This is our day. This is the day when we celebrate being in the family of God through the sacrifice of Jesus and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. So we've been introduced to the white-robed saints who were before the throne. Uh, Maybe now the question is, who is on the throne? Verse 10, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Who is on the throne? It is God. God is on the throne. Now, I know this might sound a little bit simplistic that God is on the throne, but don't we need to be reminded of it? Because God is on the throne means that God is worthy of our worship. He's worth standing before the throne to worship. It means that God is our salvation, that he is our new life, that he is our rescuer. Salvation belongs to him and to the Lamb. So we have this uncountable multitude of white-robed martyrs and sufferers who are before the throne. We have God along with the Lamb who is on the throne. Now let's look at who is around the throne. Verse 11. 
all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. I like that this image uh, is kind of, it fills out before our eyes. The, the, um, the longer we look at it through the eyes of John, the more detail appears. Now we see the angels around the throne. It's like he's kind of zooming out a little bit. We see the angels around the throne, around the elders and the four living creatures. Now the elders we first reach in, or we first meet in Revelation chapter 4 verse 4 that says this, Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And the living creatures that are also mentioned in uh, Revelation chapter 7 are mentioned no less than 17 times. The first time that the living creatures, this is the, uh, the elders, then there's the living creatures, and they're mentioned no less than 17 times in the book of Re Revelation. The first is in 4 verse 6 that says this, in the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had the face of a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. They and night they never stopped saying holy 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 is the lord god almighty who was and is and is to come now without getting too hung up on the weird description of these living creatures lots of eyes and lots of wings what is more important is their significance their meaning so the lion represents god's kingship the ox represents god's servanthood the man represents the intelligence and the rationality of God as the pinnacle of creation and the eagle flies above all else. It signifies God's supremacy and the eyes that are all over the living creatures, they represent God's all-seeing nature. He is omniscient. He sees everything and the wings represent the speed of his will being carried out so we have this scene which is building, the multitudes are before the throne, God is on the throne, the angels are around, are around the throne and the elders and the living creatures and the angels are crying out, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever, Amen. This is known as the, as the sevenfold blessing and wouldn't it do our souls good, do you think, to bless God in this way? Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to you, God. Imagine praying this as you walked or worked or washed or showered or cooked. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to you, God. Imagine how your soul would be strengthened, the core of who you are being built up by this blessing to God that you mutter over and over. The saints are before the throne. God is on the throne. The angels are around the throne. But as we wrap up this morning, we ask the question, who is in the center of the throne? Who is in the center of the throne? Verse 17. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. 
He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's verse 17. At the centre of this incredible picture, of this incredible scene, is the Lamb. The Lamb who features like a superstar all the way through the book of Revelation. 27 times the Lamb is mentioned. This is the Lamb who was slain from Revelation chapter 5 verse 12. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and, and honour and glory and praise. The Lamb is in the centre of the throne. This is the Lamb of Revelation chapter 5 verse 8. And when they had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp. They were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people, the prayers of the saints. And on All Saints Day, it's verses like this that remind you that your prayers are never wasted. The prayers of the saints are stored and they build up and build up in these golden bowls. This is the Lamb of Revelation chapter 7 verse 14. A verse that we read this morning in whose blood the suffering saints robes are made white and cleansed. This is the Lamb who is in the center of the throne. And this Lamb is Jesus. Jesus who was slain for you. He is in the center of the throne. And so when we look at this scene, the scene of countless throngs before the throne, angels around the throne, God who is on the throne, it becomes clear where we're supposed to be looking. Where, where is our focus supposed to be? It's supposed to be on the Lamb who is in the center of the throne. Revelation eleven fifteen says this, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever this is our prayer this is where we're heading this is our eventuality this is what we're looking forward to for this world to become fully Christ's for the for this realm for Jesus's kingdom and this old world to perfectly align for the spirit and the physical to become one in resurrection for the reign of Jesus to spread wherever the sun shines so the last thing that I want to leave you this morning is this. <coughs> the, that the image of heaven we see in Revelation 7 is not some far-flung place. It's not some other spiritual realm far distant from earth. Heaven is not over there while we're over here. And then one day, if the time is right, and if we put our trust in Christ, then we will relocate from over here to over there. That's not where heaven is. Heaven is here. Heaven is now. Heaven is the other side of the fabric, the other side of the curtain. It's just the other side of this stuff of life. Heaven, or the heavens, is this far from us this very moment. As you're sat there, heaven is this far from you. It's the other side of the curtain. How do I know this? Well, listen to what Jesus explained to the Pharisees in Luke 17. He said that, uh, yeah, the kingdom of, or the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. It cannot be observed. It is spiritual, but it is in your midst. Yes, there is a veil that separates heaven from us. It is a different realm, 
but it is a realm that overlaps our realm. And whenever miracles happen, whenever souls get saved, whenever God is glorified, heaven breaks through to earth. And if this is true, that heaven is a reality or a dimension that is this close to ours, then suddenly the stakes are raised because everything matters. Every space in your house is holy. Every space in your work is holy. Every act is an act that either brings heaven closer, allows heaven to break through, or it drives a wedge. Every decision can be an act of submission and worship before the throne of God in the center of which is the Lamb. And in this spiritual dimension that overlies or overlaps what we see and experience physically the great multitude of all saints that no one can stand that no one can count is standing before the throne in this spiritual dimension that overlaps what we see god is on the throne the angels are around the throne the lamb is in the center of the throne and so how do we respond how do you live in the light of that truth that all of this stuff we read in Revelation 7 is this far from us? Well, we worship the Lamb at the center of the throne, for the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. The Lamb who is our shepherd. This shepherd who knows what it is like to be a sheep. The shepherd who leads you through this life. He's the one who laid down his life for you as a sheep. The shepherd who promises to shelter you with his presence is the one who washed your robes clean in his blood for the lamb at the center of the throne will be his shepherd, will, will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Verse 17. This is what we see on the other side of the curtain. So aren't you glad that the one who is worthy of our praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength, aren't you glad that the one who is worshipped by an uncountable multitude of suffering saints, aren't you glad that the one who is at the center of the throne is a lamb who will be our shepherd, who will lead us to springs of living water, who will wipe away every tear from our eyes? and who will lead us home.